what I what I'd love to uh, speak to you about this morning is the presence of God. Uh, just a, an amazing thing when we can encounter God in a in a way that is so personal and intimate, and that is something that He wants us to know as His children. Just a deeper level of connecting with Him. So I want to just explore something of what the presence of God means, and so. Um, the first thing I'd like to look at is to ask ourselves, what exactly do we mean when we say the presence of God? What is the presence of God? And when we look at that, I'd, I'd like to look at three words to help unpack what that means. They're three theological words, but they really help us understand the character of God and how he reveals himself to his people. So the first word is the word omnipresent, which describes that unique quality that only God has. That means that he is present in every possible place at every possible time. And there's nowhere that God is not. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. His presence is even in hell. I know sometimes people say, well, God is not in hell. That's where God is not. But that is where the wrath and the judgments of God on all evil uh, resides. Even his wrath is present in hell. And there's another word um, that describes God, and that is that God is imminent. He has imminence. And this refers to God's relationship with the world that he's created, that he actively operates within it, he sustains it, he's the originator of all that exists. And as in Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says that God, through Jesus, is sustaining all things by his powerful word. But while being engaged and present in this world, so he's everywhere, and he's imminent, he's engaged with his world. He's also at the same time infinitely transcendent above the world. God is everywhere, but he is not the same substance as that which he has created. And there's a, a, a religion called pantheism, which would believe that the essence of God is within the substance of all created matter. So you'll get hear things like, oh, God is inside the trees and in the flowers and um, in the mountain. That, that's not a Christian worldview. God has, is in, in his world, he's in his creation, he's imminent, but he's not within the substance of that world. He is transcendent above it. So while God is far above and transcendent of this world, he's also chosen to place himself in direct connection with it as its creator, sustainer, and savior. I love Psalm 139 where David acknowledges the omnipresence of God. And he says these amazing words. He says, where can I go from your presence if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And if I were to hide on the wings of the morning, even there your hand would hold me. You hem me in behind and before. And he just concludes, such knowledge is far too wonderful for me. So if God is omnipresent, meaning that he's present at all times, in all places, what does it mean then to be in God's presence? Because surely then we are always in his presence. 
But the Bible speaks of being in God's presence in a very different way. There's something much more to it than just the omnipotence or the omnipresence of God. If you think back to the beginning of the Bible, to the beginning of human history, God enjoyed a close presence with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But after their disobedience and their distrust of God's goodness towards them, they became separated from this very intimate sense of God's presence. And from that time on in the Old Testament, God only revealed himself in specific ways to particular people at specific times. Never again with mankind was there this closeness and intimacy that is described as Adam and Eve walked in the garden with the Lord and spoke to him. So some of the ways that God later revealed his presence on a deeper level was when God spoke to Noah and Moses and when his presence was visible to the Israelites by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night when they were 40 years in the wilderness. The tabernacle was a large mobile tent-like temple which housed the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that was the Ten Commandments. And this was seen as the place where the glory and the presence of God dwelled. And later, when the temple was built in Jerusalem, the inner sanctuary of the temple was called the Holy of Holies. And that was the place where God's presence dwelt. And it was such a powerful sense of his presence that the, the high priest alone was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. And he only did so once a year. And it was such a terrifying ordeal that they would um, tie a, a rope around his ankle in case he was struck dead in the Holy of Holies and they could just pull him out by the ankle on a, on a piece of rope. It was a great and terrifying thing to be in the presence of the Almighty God. However, we see in the New Testament a change in the way that God's presence with his people is experienced. We see that God's presence is no longer a reason to be afraid, as the writer to the Hebrews says, and we can read together in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, from verse 18 to 24, where he says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words, that those who heard it begged that no further word was spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We know when we celebrate Christmas, what is one of the names that we sing about Jesus? We, we call him Emmanuel, God 
with us. God is with man. And in the person of Jesus, God revealed his presence in a direct, tangible way by living and experiencing our worlds and joys and sorrows that we live through. But it was through his sacrificial death on the cross that he broke the dividing wall between man and God that has been there ever since the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a curtain hung between the Holy of Holies and the sanctuary in the temple. And it's recorded in the hour that Jesus died, without any human intervention, that, that curtain simply ripped in two. And God was saying that the way has been made through Jesus for us to now enter into the presence of God without fear and without trepidation. And we read in Hebrews 4 verse 16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Today, God is present by his spirit who lives within those who believe in him. You see, when we put our hope and our faith in Jesus and we believe that he is the son of God, a divine miracle happens and the very spirit of Jesus lives within us. We can know God's presence in a very real and certain way because of the abiding of God's spirit within our own hearts. And we see verses like this in 2 Timothy 1 verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God is no, not out there. When we put our faith in him, he comes and dwells within us. And in James 4 verse 5 it says, Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? The Duke of Wellington once remarked about Napoleon. I used to say of him that his presence on the field made the difference of 40,000 men. The presence of a strong leader has powerful effect. How much greater is the impact of the awesome power of the presence of God? You see, within every person, there is a deep spiritual hunger in all of our hearts that can only ever be satisfied by the presence of God himself. The presence of God satisfies our deepest spiritual longings. Adam and Eve lost the sense of his presence through their sin, and thereafter the presence of God was not known as it was before. But now, through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, a way has been made back into the presence of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit living within you, and this has all been made possible because of what Jesus has done. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he was trying to explain to the church in Rome, he was trying to explain something of what his mandate was to come and make this real to people. And we can read this in Romans 15, verse 17 to 19. He describes his ministry. He says, Therefore, 
I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the, the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You see, the presence of God radically changes our lives and the lives of those that we come into contact with. He gives power to both our words and our actions. He makes possible signs and wonders. This is what characterized the early church and this is what should still characterize the church today. Paul's proclamation of the gospel was central to his calling, but it was also a holistic proclamation. Like Jesus, his preaching was with words, accompanied by a demonstration of the inbreaking of the presence of God in a way that Jesus foretold would happen. So wherever Paul went and he preached the gospel, there was an amazing demonstration of power and the presence of God. And it involved these three things, words, works, and wonders. You see, words, the gospel, is the most powerful message in the world. There is no more powerful message than to say, come as you are and receive the inheritance of the God Almighty and be adopted as his own child and all your sins are forgiven. Anything that you have ever done in the world in your life has been forgiven and you are made right with God. It is the most powerful message in the whole world and Paul fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. He proclaimed the gospel by what he said. But fully proclaiming the gospel involves not only words, but actions. He said, by what I've said and done. And for example, Paul acted on behalf of the poor when he later writes down in the chapter in verses 26 to 27, he says, take up a collection for the poor to relieve their poverty. That's why for us as a church, we're so committed to working into places like Cambodia. And I'm very excited that Ant and Clive are going to be going to Nagaland in India later on this year as well. And we're helping with um, the daughters of Cambodia to, to see women set free from a life of trafficking. Because the gospel is not just about words. It's also about the things that we do to bring that gospel into action. But then it's also about wonders. You see, Paul's proclamation of the gospel involved a demonstration of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit by the power of signs and miracles or wonders through the power of the Spirit. I would just so love to see all of those things become the holistic gospel that more and more we preach from this church, that we would see boldness to speak, uh, conviction to act, and a release of the Holy Spirit to see the powers of, of all that he wants to do to bring people out of captivity into his freedom. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, brought a great outpouring of the presence of God. Now, when I was nine years old, 
I remember happily singing to myself one morning at school while I was walking on the playground at break time. And I was singing a simple song that we sang at Sunday school, which I have decided to follow Jesus. Do you remember that song? I have decided to follow Jesus. And then it goes, no turning back. Praise the Lord, no turning back. And in that moment, the, I just had such a deep conviction as a nine-year-old of that I wanted to live my life for Jesus. And right there on the playground, I said, Jesus, here's my life. I'm going to be living for you just through singing that simple little song. But something changed for me when I turned 12. In the late 70s and early 80s, there was a movement in the Anglican Church called the Charismatic Renewal. And it was during this time that my grandfather was saved. And as was or is the tradition in the Anglican Church, at 12 or 13 years of age, one is encouraged to renew the vows that were made on your behalf during your christening through a ceremony called Confirmation. And many young people go through the motions of, of doing this as a matter of tradition. But for me, it was a time when I felt the call of God begin to stir in my life. And as part of preparation for this confirmation, there was a day of teaching about the Holy Spirit. And my friends, my best friend's mum, shared with us about how the Holy Spirit wants to empower us and we could receive the gift of tongues. So as a young person who loved God and wanted to follow him wholeheartedly, I received this instruction with eagerness and openness. So Eleanor, the lady's name, she prayed for me to receive the gift of tongues. And as she prayed and just laid hands on me, a simple childlike babble of words started to flow from my mouth. And she encouraged me to keep praying and to let the words develop. I felt the presence of God inside me in such a tangible way that was so unmistakable. And I experienced a new joy that I had never known before. And for me, that was the start of a deeper and growing consciousness of the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. And this is just my testimony of when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I'm sure that if we had a chance for different people here to share their stories, we would have so many different accounts of how God works and pours out His Spirit in our lives. Sometimes we like to make a rule for everyone based on what God has done for us. But we soon find that God is not confined to a box when it comes to His Holy Spirit. And I want to say that at Forest Town Church, we want to respect that all of us have come from different journeys and different church backgrounds. And we want to validate each person's journey. But at the same time, we want to root ourselves in what the Word of God shows us. I like what Randy Clark, uh, pastor of Vineyard Church in St. Louis, uh, Missouri says. He says, I believe that God did not make two fingerprints or two snowflakes alike, and in the same way did not intend to make our experience of his spirit to be exactly the same for everyone. So what I'd love to do this morning, just in the last part of my talk, is I want to just unpack a little bit about how, what the baptism of the spirit looked like in the book of Acts. And then what I wanted to, want to do is I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us this morning, because 
it's not just what is proclaimed, but we want to see a demonstration of his power. So the first passage I want to speak about is Acts 2, verse 1 to 4, where we know about what happened during the festival of Pentecost. And it says there, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly they came from heaven like the sound of a mighty wind, a rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and to began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was the first time Jesus said, wait for me in Jerusalem and wait for my Holy Spirit. They had no idea really what he was talking about or what that was going to look like. And I'm sure they never ever thought it would look like what, it, what actually did happen. And uh, the believers were gathered together in a prayer meeting when suddenly the presence of the Holy Spirit made himself real to them in a very, very tangible way. Um, they could hear a wind. They saw tongues of flames of fire resting on each other's heads. I'm sure they'd be worried if their hair was going to catch on light, a light, but it wasn't a, a kind of a physical fire. It was more a visual of fire. And it says they began to speak in new languages all at the same time. Now, I don't think you can contrive something like that, can you? It's something spontaneously that God does. No one's sitting in a prayer meeting and suddenly that someone says let's pray a joke and put fire on everyone's heads and let's all just start talking spontaneously in in languages that were real languages when they'd never spoken those before it was a supernatural thing that happened now i've been to meetings and we've had times even in worship in this wonderful church community where the holy spirit just comes during the worship and people spontaneously begin to sing in heavenly languages it's just a wonderful thing and the atmosphere of his presence releases his power corporately over everyone there and after the disciples' experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit in this way, we see that they go out onto the streets and there's great boldness. And Peter and John come across a man who's lame and they say, um, he says, please, sir, I'm lame. And Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, said he. Do you remember that Sunday school song? For such as I have, sorry, Anton. So, and they say, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have in the name of Jesus, we will give you. And they prayed for this man who was lame and he became healed. So there was a great overflow from this encounter with the Holy Spirit in their prayer meeting into the marketplace where they were going about their daily lives. It was a demonstration of great power. Now let's look at what happened in Acts chapter 4 from verse 29 to 31. So this happened sort of quite soon after that first um, occurrence. And uh, this is Peter speaking. He says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Because the Sanhedrin had told them they better keep quiet 
because they, they were spreading this thing about Jesus and they weren't very happy with it. And while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And here again, we see when the Holy Spirit came, there was this tangible experience of his presence. It said the whole building shook. Uh, I probably would find that quite unnerving if, if our, our building started shaking. You would think, is there an earth tremor? But they knew that there was something more. This was a spiritual thing that had happened. I haven't encountered a shaking building, but uh, I sometimes experience when the Holy Spirit comes on me, and it's not because I'm cold and shivering, um, but sometimes I might begin to shake. And that's not because it's some fit or weirdness. It's a most logical thing to happen if you think of the power of the Almighty God coming on us as frail humans. It's just as we, we can begin to shake in his presence. Um, some people don't. Some people do. It's not a sign of being greatly spiritual. It's just what God's wanting to do in different people at different times. Sometimes I think when we invite the Holy Spirit into our midst, we can so be so nervous that God is going to make us look silly or make us feel ashamed. So we just begin to resist what that looks like. But I want to say that we miss out on all that God wants to do when he comes by his spirit. If we are too concerned of what it looks like to everyone else in the room, we, we need to just allow God to, to uh we need to trust God that by his spirit he never imposes on us in a way that is not in a godly way um, because I often find that when the Holy Spirit comes on a church community that he breaks the fear of man we can be so preoccupied and oversensitive to what other people think that we don't give God full access to our hearts to allow him to bless us in the way he wants us to well, one of the things I know when the Holy Spirit comes and he ministers to us with his presence in that supernatural way, that people step outside of their personal limitations and inhibitions. I've seen some of the shyest introverted people suddenly become so bold to speak out about who Jesus is in their workplace because it's not their own power, it is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's his enabling then it, that allows us to do that. And then I just want to look at this last passage in Acts. There are, there are, no, there are numbers of accounts where the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers. And um, I know that sometimes people might say, well, that was good because that was when the church started. They needed that. Well, I want to say, do we not also need boldness and great courage today in our society, in our day, to see God come and move in power within us? So Acts 8 verse 14 to 17 says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
Here we see that this baptism of the Holy Spirit was a separate experience from the point of salvation. When we get saved, we receive the fullness of God, don't we? We receive Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God comes to dwell in us by His Spirit. So this thing of being baptized or filled with the Spirit is a separate thing from what happens at salvation. It is an empowering of the Holy Spirit that enables us to know God in a, God's presence in a in a tangible way and one of I think one of the greatest evidence of this is joy so when when baptism of the spirit comes it is just an overflow of joy because you know God's presence and the certainty of his of his love and his um, closeness to you so my experience was I was saved and then I was baptized in the spirit at the age of 12 and then I was only water baptized when I was 25 after I got married because I began to understand that that's what you got. Jesus asked us to be baptized in water as well. So we may all have very different experiences and journeys, but the main thing is that God wants us to be saved. He wants us to be made right with him through faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done. He wants us to have a, a public demonstration of that thing that God has done through being baptized in water as a sign that the old is gone and the new has come. But he also wants us to be baptized and filled and like Ant explained, baptism means to be dipped into, to be immersed in the wonderful power and the presence of God. And it doesn't matter about the order. I don't, I don't know if people got baptized. I think you do need to get saved first. That would be a good starting point. But the order of the other things uh, doesn't matter. God can do what he wants to do. So... Um, I love the saying that it's not so important what you got saved out of as much as what you get saved into. <laughs> you see, God wants us to be people of the Word and the Spirit, to be naturally supernatural and to live our lives with great boldness for Him. We're called to be wild for God, not weird. We're called to run for Him and to live and champion Him. And we need to let our roots go deep down into the Word of God so that it becomes a plumb line for all our experiences in the Spirit. But at the same time, we don't hide behind some favorite verses of Scripture to try and deflect the more that God wants to take us into. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God, and He will always bring glory to Jesus. He is committed to taking us out of our comfort zones and our neat boxes to see that he is God, the almighty creator of the universe. An encounter with the Holy Spirit is a supernatural experience. In Revelations 3 verse 20, Jesus says these words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To be baptized or to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to invite the Holy Spirit to make his presence in your life so that you become aware of him all the time. It is a deeper level of intimacy and communion as if God dwells right within us. 
And I want to end off with the scripture in Luke 11 verse 9 where Jesus promises us and he says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Because what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a stone or a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is the way our good Father in heaven shows us his love and kindness and comforting and empowering presence in our lives. He wants to be close, us to be close to him and to know his thoughts and his heart. And what better way than to be filled with his spirit? I want to say at Forest Town Church, we can feel safe and confident that the leadership team who host and facilitate our times together love the Holy Spirit and they will never want to quench what the Lord is doing. But at the same time, you can know that if something is a bit weird, they will gently instruct and not allow anything to distract from the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. This is a safe place for where the Holy Spirit can come and minister. Maybe you have seen some of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit before and you've become cynical or critical. I want to implore you not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I love what Mike Pilavachi says. It might be messy in the nursery, but it's dead in the graveyard. And when we become judgmental and the Holy Spirit is quenched, he won't move. It's always good to be discerning, but we need to know the difference between um, guarding our hearts and hardening our hearts to what God is saying and doing by his Spirit. So I want to say, I just as I've been praying and preparing for today, I really believe that God wants to give an invitation this morning for us to go deeper, to open our hearts more fully to God, and to allow us to empower Him, to empower us by His Holy Spirit. God has so much that He wants to do in and through this church community, but we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot. Uh, love our husbands and wives as we need to we cannot be the parents we need to be we cannot do anything unless it is by his spirit at, at work within us and uh, i would not the holy spirit is a person he's not some commodity that sometimes people say we're leaking out the holy spirit and we don't have enough of the holy spirit it's not like that it's a relationship he's someone that we cultivate an intimacy with Maybe you have been baptized in the Spirit before. You've ex experienced that wonderful infilling of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul uses the words and the verb in the, in the Scriptures, he says, be filled with the Spirit, and, it, and he says, and keep on being filled. It's a present continuous thing. It's not a once-off experience. God wants us to continually drink from Him, to continually draw near. And so there's, we can we can often come, with, whether you're on your own or if it's in a time in the meeting, we can say, Lord, come and fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit.
But maybe this morning you're here and you're saying, I've never experienced that before. I've never experienced God come and filling me. And you might be a little bit like, I'm not quite sure about this. It all sounds a bit strange. Well, I, I want to reassure you. That's why I've, I have spoken to you from what is in the Word. It's not Helen's good ideas. <laughs> this is really something that is what the early church experienced. And it's what God wants for all of us to know and to walk in. So I want to also pray this morning for those of you who may never have had an infilling of the Spirit to come and experience that. I don't know what God wants to do when he does that with you. It's going to be your unique snowflake. You might begin to speak in tongues. You might just begin to have a great sense of peace. You might feel his joy in a new way. God will do what he needs to do. But we're going to trust that as you come with a heart to receive, that God will come and meet you and empower you and fill you with his presence.